this is our children, our children's church. Your leaders will meet you out in the foyer. And we're glad we have some grandchildren going to be here today. Taylor and Jennifer and their family are with us. And we're glad they're here. Would you remain standing and let's have a word of prayer now. Uh, I was thinking about ob obvious things, the things that are going on in our nation and all the divisions and all the uncertainties, those kind of things. There is one thing that is certain, and that is, regardless of who the president is, Jesus is still Lord and King, right? And we stand upon that, and his promises are true, and his prophecies are true. And then I was thinking about other things. Uh, Chad and Michelle still don't have power. And can you imagine? And um, would you be as cheerful? As they are in those situations. Some of you are very recently got power, right? Miss Nita and the Keys and some others. What, what's that? You still don't? Wow. We, we need to pray for that. And in the meantime, how about those people that are working on those power lines? We need to pray for them. And I heard this morning in Sunday school that some of them have actually been threatened by angry customers and angry people. Isn't that silly? And uh, we live in an angry, angry world, and that gives us more opportunity to be salt and light, doesn't it? And so let's just pray about those kind of things. Bow your heads, close your eyes, and lift somebody up in prayer. Somebody who's sick, somebody who's grieving, somebody who needs electricity, somebody who is going through a tough time in their family, a lot of things that go on. Somebody with corona, medical personnel, pray for them, lift them up. Pray for Mr. Biden. Pray for Mr. Trump. Pray for their legal teams. Pray for somebody in the media that you really can't stand. And ask God to save them. I'm serious. I'm serious. Father, as we think about the world that we live in, we see the outgrowth, what we are looking at now, is the outgrowth of two people eating fruit. Eating fruit in the Garden of Eden probably didn't seem like that big a deal, but it was disobedience to you. It was treason against you. And it sowed the seeds for everything that we're seeing going on in the world right now. Help us, Lord, to learn from that. Our sin matters, and our sin bears fruit, and it grows, it expands just like Adam's did. And uh, Father, we want to ask you today, forgive us individually, forgive us as a church, forgive us as a state, forgive us as a nation for the sins that we commit against you, for laws that are blasphemous, for attitudes and actions that shake our fist in your face. And yet you continue to bless us. Help us to understand that the only remedy for sin is the death of Jesus Christ and his burial and resurrection and the fact that he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Only grace is the answer to any of this. And we are called to carry out that message of the grace of God. I pray we would do it and I pray we would do it with the right heart and attitude. Restore power to people who need it. Bless those people who are out working on the power lines. Keep them safe. And may we be appreciative for people who do that. May we be appreciative of the fact that it's not normal for power to be out.
And in a lot of places around the world, it's very normal for them to be without electricity. Thank you for the way you blessed us and bless those people. And then, Father, as we think about the media and we pray, Lord, for you, we literally do pray for you to save those people. And we pray that they would stand on truth. And we pray for people in politics. We pray for people in the legal profession who are all working either in support of Mr. Biden or Mr. Trump. And we pray that uh, righteousness and justice would come out of all of this. And we want to pray for these two men. And we pray for their souls. And we pray that they would know you as Savior and Lord. And we pray that you would transform their lives. That's the most important thing. And above all, help us to realize in all of this stuff, the things we talk about, the things that we read, that so much of it is not true. So much of it is a half-truth. So much of it is based upon speculation. And we as believers need to stand firm on the rock of your revelation, the Bible, the Holy Scripture. And we need to be proclaiming it. And more than that, we need to be living it. And so, Father, today, take your holy and errant word and press it upon our minds, upon our hearts. Convict us of sin and renew us so that we live for you and live in your power. And we take advantage of these dark times in order that we might shine for your glory. Heal people who are sick. Help people who are grieving. Give jobs to people who need those. And we pray, Father, that you would show your power as a good shepherd in the lives of your children. And we pray this by grace in Jesus' name. And if you agree, would you say amen? Amen. You may be seated. And let's go to Exodus. Let's go to a different chapter this time. We get to go to a new one. We're going to Exodus chapter 16. We've got across the Red Sea. We are past the uh, bitter waters. And we took a break at the wells uh, and the palm trees of Elam. And now it's time to go. It's time to head out. It is time to move on again. I'm sure there was some grumbling and some complaining. Why do we have to leave this place? And why do we have to go on out? And why are we going out into the desert? And understand, when you read in the book of Exodus about wilderness, it's not Daniel Boone chopping down trees. It's Sahara-type sands. So understand that and keep that in mind. And also understand something else. God would not lead his children into the desert if it were not necessary. And so you're going to go through some deserts in your life. There may be some times, okay, you go through a political desert. There may be some times where you go through an unemployment desert. There may be some times you go through a grieving desert. There may be some times you go through family turmoil deserts, all kinds of things where you wonder where is the blessing, where is the water, where is the vegetation, where is the shelter, where is the blessing. Because when you think about a desert and you look at the definition, a desert is a barren area of landscape where little precipitation occurs and consequently living conditions are hostile for plant and animal life. Have you ever been in a situation where life seemed hostile? 
It seemed like in the very places where you ought to find blessing and peace and refreshment, it turned hostile on you. Because in the desert, it's not just a matter of where's the shade and where's the water. Keep in mind, too, there are no berries growing anywhere. There are no, uh, there's no corn growing anywhere. There's nothing like that. There's not any livestock that can be sustained in this place. It's a scary type place to be. And these people are finding themselves in that particular place. But God has a reason for them being there just as he does for all of us. So let's read in Exodus chapter 16. Let's begin. A good place to begin, I suppose, would be verse 1. And they journeyed from, uh, we call it Elam. It's probably more like Elim. And all the congregation, the assembly of the children of Israel, came to the wilderness of sin. we got to stop there. Why is it called the wilderness of sin? Well, that's not sin like sin, sin. Um, not a theological term. It's probably short for the wilderness of Sinai. Has Sinai spelled S-I-N? AI, and so it's probably just short for that. And probably even on that, it ought to be pronounced more the uh, wilderness of Sin. And uh, they are there in that wilderness that surrounds it. In fact, it goes on to give us a clue as to where that is, which is between uh, Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. So it's been 45 days since they left Egypt. Verse 2. Then the, and notice how the Holy Spirit puts this in here, the whole congregation, not a tiny minority, the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. Moses probably enjoyed the company there. In the wilderness... And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Don't you just hear the whine? After all God had done for them, don't you just hear that? Don't you know it just grated on Moses and Aaron and even more on the Lord's ears when he heard this? Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. And then listen to this. When we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full, golden corral. Okay? That's what they're saying. Oh, in Egypt we had golden corral. Every day it was so good being a slave in Egypt compared to this. This freedom in the Lord, it was a whole lot better being a slave at golden corral in Egypt than it is being out here in freedom with the Lord. Isn't that ironic, the way they say that? Well, they go on. You know, sometimes when you find yourself in a hole, the best thing to do is stop digging. They don't stop digging, do they? For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Oh, yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, that's why Moses came. He had this, this plan, see, behind the scenes. If you knew the plan... Can, can you say conspiracy theory? That's what's going on here. The people say there's more to this. You didn't bring us out to set us free or show the power. We know what's really going on here. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, 
Behold, I will reign. And if I were to stop right there, I would fill in the blanks and I would say fire and brimstone. I'll reign fire and brimstone. I mean, that's what they deserve, right? And look at what God does. I will rain bread from heaven for you. I will rain bread. You want, you want bread? You want to eat to your full? You wonder how you're going to do it? I'll rain bread from You've insulted me. You've blasphemed me. You've gone against my leaders. You act like I don't care about you. And like there's some ulterior motive in all of this. Like I'm not power. After all I've done and all I've showed both in Egypt and at the Red Sea. And here's how, here's how, here's how good I'm going to be. I'm going to rain bread from heaven and it's going to be for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them. Don't miss that. There's a reason why God puts a quota, why God puts a law. It's not much, but it's a test. Will you obey me in the little things? And I think that's something that he could ask us today. Will you, will you obey God? Not just in the big things, not just in the grotesque things, but in the small everyday things that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Well, that's not much law. Gathering a quota of bread every day? That's not much law, but God said it's a test. Because if you can't keep the little things, you'll never keep the big things. It's a test. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily so they don't have to go out on the Sabbath. That's the only day they could get more than their quota. And so God says, here we are in the desert, and this desert is a test. It's a, uh, let's just put it like this, it's the Lord's pop quiz. Did you ever hate it when you walked into class when you were in school, and your teacher or your professor said, oh, hey, we've got a surprise. We're going to have a little, a little pop quiz today. Oh, great. I didn't study for it. I don't even know what's on it. You never know what's on a pop quiz. Well, they didn't know what was on the pop quiz. And the pop quiz was basically this. I've got you out here, and we've left the, uh, the oasis of Elam, and we're going out, and there's nothing but sand as far as the eye can see. It's hot. It's dry. And they were okay with that for a day. They were okay with that for two days. I mean, you know, you can put up with anything for a while. But boy, by that third day, by that third day, they were convinced now that uh, this is not going to end well, this is not going to go well, and we're out here to die. Moses, you're killing us. You're killing us out here. Boy, it was a whole lot better when we were back there in Egypt, wasn't it? And so they're going out there, and the Lord said, okay, and now I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you something. You ever had a time in your life where the Lord showed you something? But about the time that God is going to say to his people, here's what you think and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you something. You ever had a time where you weren't sure how you were going to pay the rent and yet God showed you something? Have you ever had a time where you weren't sure how you were going to buy groceries 
And yet the Lord showed you something. Have you ever wondered about the time how you were going to make a marriage work and how are you going to keep a family together and it looked like everything was coming apart and then the Lord showed you something. This is the Lord showing them something. I don't need vegetation. I don't need rainfall. I don't need all of the things you think that I need in order to feed you or to take care of you. And that's the thing that we need to understand even here in 21st century America. There are things that have worked for us there are things that are working for us and will continue to work for us but whenever they're threatened we panic and we're like the children of Israel in the, in the desert how can you work without our free market system how can you work without our branches of representative government how can you work without the bill of rights how can you work without all of that well God may be showing us some things to say I don't need all of those things to work I don't need those things to take care of you because you've been liberated by God and you are under the rulership of King Jesus now act like it and understand that God can bring beauty out of what out of ashes and he can restore the years that the locusts have eaten and so when we see things happening around us and when we see our culture and society deteriorating and we understand that God is in control and that a holy God is doing this and we're to do what we sang earlier we're to bless his name we sang it even in the desert place like these people are in when there's nothing that makes sense we still trust the plan and the promises of God and that's a real good place for an amen from somebody out there right because we don't do that very well and yet the world is watching us and they don't know what they're looking for but they're just watching and they're probably looking for us to be hypocrites looking for us to stumble looking for us to fall looking for us to contradict ourselves and we do a pretty good job of that and yet the Lord is saying I want you to trust me I'm putting you to the test will you obey me even in the small things because I don't need what you think I need to do what I have planned purposed and ordained to do and that ought to make every Christian sit back take a sigh of relief and bless the Lord and rejoice in the Lord and rest in the Lord and want to talk about the Lord as well that's just a good good thing that's where we are now when we look at all of this and think about what these people are saying oh if God was gonna kill us why didn't he just kill us in Egypt I mean good night if I'm gonna die I'd rather die uh, you know easy and die comfortable right I mean I've thought about something like this if you had left it up to Greg to plan your redemption if I was in the place of Jesus I would wait until now and die of lethal injection not cross not the cross I mean that's a whole lot easier isn't it and the people here are saying man it would have been nice if we're gonna die we're all gonna die by the way we could have just died in Egypt and died with a full belly according to what they say instead of dying out here a slow agonizing death of starvation uh, in the desert what in the world is going on and yet isn't it interesting that they use the metaphor of death here and uh, well if you're gonna die why are you so upset about dying then and uh, they don't seem to see just how ironic their statement is and how contradictory it really is I mean if dying is what you really want and that's God's will you're in a good place to do it right now aren't you but uh, they don't see that 
And what is it that God is trying to teach them that we need to learn when we walk through our desert places too? Well, first of all, uh, think about this. Environment is not irrelevant. Environment is not irrelevant. They journeyed from Elam because God wasn't going to teach them what they needed to learn in Elam. Not with a well right over there. Not with shade. Not with that. They've got to be out here where there's nothing. They have to be totally dependent upon God. And that's when the congregation came. And that's when they began to complain about all of this. Because God has some plans for the desert. Now, when we think about the environment that we're in, the location we're in, the situation that we're in. Think about this. Some people get tired of their marriage, and so they think, you know what I need? I need a new wife. And if I just had a new wife and lived in a new house and had a new family, then things would go right for me. And you know what happens? They leave their family. They have an affair with somebody else, and then they get married to that person. And then, statistically... Those second marriages end in divorce at a much higher rate than the first. You know why? Because location doesn't really change all that much. Because here's the problem with changing location. You take you with it. Right? Your sin, your problems, your baggage, your scars. And then something happens. That second person who was so perfect, they act like your ex. And now all of a sudden you're blowing up again. And you're scared to death. Or you're angry. Or you're defensive or whatever. And then things fall apart because you went with it. Some people do that with churches. And they go, oh, this church is just a joke. I'm going to go over here where they really know how to worship. Well, before long, they have to go to another church that really knows how to worship. They have to go to another church where the pastor really gets it. And they're just always in a search for the perfect church well the old saying is if you ever find a perfect church please don't join it because you'll mess it up right I mean that's the way things are and we think that a new location a new start a fresh start maybe if I could get a new job and you find out the same problems come at a new job that were at your old job what's wrong with all of these people maybe it's not all these people maybe it's you and you carry all that kind of thing with you. So we all know that. We understand that. But that doesn't mean that the location is irrelevant. There are times when you do need to get out of a certain location. There are times when maybe God is leading you to a different place. And he just puts pressure on you so that you'll do it. And there are places we're supposed to be and things we're supposed to do. And in this situation, the lessons that the people are supposed to learn are not going to be learned where there are wells. Not going to be learned where there are palm trees and shade and plants growing and fruit and that type of thing. They have to be learned out in the desert. So maybe, just maybe, a sovereign God has you in a situation whether it's the national situation or whether it's your local situation or whether it's just you. Maybe you're going through something right now that you didn't ask for, you don't want, you're trying to find a way out of, you're trying to think that of ways where you can get to a different location and maybe the Lord is hemming you in because he says, nope, I've got you right here. You have to be in the desert. You have to be in the hot sand right now because without that, you're not going to get what I'm trying to teach you. 
And maybe there have been a lot of other things that we think we have learned, but we didn't learn them in the desert, so it wasn't really burned into our consciousness. It's just something in the back of our mind, far too casual. And God says, hey, son, daughter, we're going to get serious about this now, and I'm going to put you in the right location so that you can learn this. Because what Israel was going to learn now, they could not learn anywhere else. The environment is chosen by God. It's not an irrelevant factor in here. It is something that really matters. And you may be in that situation as well. Now secondly, when we uh, think about why we need the desert, I want you to consider that uh, in the desert... And in this, what they have gone through and, and what they are uh, experiencing here, well, there are some lies that are to... No, excuse me. There are some emotions that become terrible masters to them. And what happened with them? Well, they move out of the realm of facts. They move out of the realm of looking and seeing, well, things like who God is. They stop looking at the power of God. Do any of these statements say anything about the glory of God, the power of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God? Or anything? No, it just sounds like all God wants to do is kill us. It sounds here like God fumbled the ball. It sounds like that, you know, maybe God had a good idea back there in Egypt, but we never should have listened to Moses, and we never should have followed what God said, because look what happened. I mean, it just didn't work out. And uh, sometimes we think that. Some of you get under uh, maybe a little conviction that you ought to be giving more regularly and more proportionately to the Lord's work. And then something happens. Yeah, but I know a guy who did that and he went bankrupt. I know somebody who did that and they didn't have enough money in their bank to pay their electric bill or, or whatever. And you talk yourself out of it. There's all kinds of ways that this works. And what happened to the people here is it says a word that... Uh, you might want to kind of consider they complained in here. The whole congregation. This is not a small splinter movement. This is a lot of them. And they began to complain. They began to murmur. They began to gripe about everything here. And one thing led to another. And I mean, it was just building and building and building and building. And it's getting more and more intense in here. And it's strictly emotional. That's all it is. We're looking around here and we don't see a way out of this. What's the exit strategy? When are we going to be to this land flowing with milk and honey? I don't see any milk. I don't see any honey. All I see is sand. The sand is hot. I don't see any water. I don't see any food. What are we doing? Coming out here to die. And their emotions got away from them. I want to tell you something. Emotions are a wonderful thing. They're a God-given thing. Who doesn't like feeling the exhilaration of, uh, well, I saw it a while ago. I walked into those doors, and then I hear, Big G, and then here comes Micaiah, and he comes and gives me a hug, and then Easton does that too. Don't you like that, grandparents? It's wonderful. I'm glad God gave us emotions. I'm glad we have emotions that we can have the love of a spouse. I'm glad we have the emotions that when we sing, we feel something when we are worshiping the Lord. That's a good thing to raise our hands to the Lord, to sing to Him, to have tears, whatever it is that we need. Emotions are a good thing, but they are a horrible master. If you think with your emotions, you are in trouble. 
If you are a person who just bounces around, this is my age showing up, like a ball in a pinball machine, and you're just boom, boom, bing, boom, bing, bing, all over the place, you're going to make some bad decisions. You're going to hurt people that you love. You're going to have scars you can't get away from. And you're going to sit there at key times of your life, knowing what you ought to do, but you're going to follow your emotions, and you're going to mess up. Ask a drug addict. Ask an alcoholic. Ask somebody who has been through... I remember talking to a guy one time. He was on his seventh wife. Seventh wife. And we were talking about some things, and I said... Brother, you complain about a lot of people in a lot of situations, including all of your wives, but there's one common denominator, and brother, that's you. That's the last time he ever spoke to me. <laughs> and I said it lovingly, but that was one of those things where he needed to hear that. You know why? He was an emotional basket case, and he could not get control of it. Well, that's what's happening with the people of Israel. I mean, before then, they're singing, I will sing unto the Lord. Give me a tambourine. The horse and the rider thrown into the sea. Woo! Who is like our God among the gods? This is awesome, isn't it? Now listen to them. You see, their, motion, their worship was nothing but a stir of emotions. Their rest at Elam was just circumstances are good. Oh, everything's great. And everything changed when they got out in the desert, and yet nothing had changed. Did you get that? Everything changed when they got in the desert, and yet nothing had changed. And that's what we need to remember. Everything may change around us in the culture. Everything may change politically. Things may change in our family. Things may change economically. And yet the truth of the matter is, for the child of God, nothing has changed. Because God is still on his throne and his word is still true. And he is still a good shepherd. And we need to remember that. But yet their emotions led them in a different way. Get your emotions under control. Child of God, you are not to be mastered by your emotions. You are to master them. They are to be under the lordship of Christ. Every thought as well as every feeling, is to be captivated by the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? That's the second thing they needed to learn. It's as if God is holding up in a mirror in front of them and saying that everything you do, even if it appears to be right, it's emotion-driven, and your emotions are always unstable. Thirdly, notice that when they start talking about these things, are they telling the truth? God could have just killed us in Egypt. Wait a minute. Where did God ever say he wanted to kill them? Well, he probably will later on. But uh, saying that he should. But not up to this point, has he? He said, I want to deliver you. I've heard your cry. I'm going to honor the promise I made to Abraham. I'm going to let you be in on that and be in a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to show you the glory that I have, that I rule over Pharaoh and all of the gods of Egypt. I mean, this is what God had said, but that doesn't seem to be... Their, their words don't match up with God's words, do they? Then they start talking about Moses and Aaron. What would you do? We followed you. Hey, wise guy. It's a brilliant plan. Way to go. I mean, it, it's funny how everybody wants to follow the leader until the leader's plan doesn't look real good. And then they all have a better idea. 
Oh, I know. I mean, every one of us in this room, we know what the president ought to do and how he ought to say it. And we all know about the campaigns and we know about the promises. And yet none of us could do it. But we think we could. And you know what happens? Moses and Aaron get the brunt of all of this kind of stuff. And look at what they said about Egypt. You know, we were over there by those crock pots. Oh, you remember how it was? when it, You remember that uh, Cajun chili, you know? You remember that? You remember those ribs? Well, they were Jews. But uh, you remember all of that? I mean, you get it? We, we had bread. Oh, you remember those rolls? Waitress would bring them by. We just, I mean, they acted like being at Egypt was like being on a resort. Okay, so the third point is there's always a lie to believe. Always. There's always a conspiracy theory. There's always somebody who tells you a half-truth. There's always enough even within you as a depraved individual to manufacture what you know went on. I had somebody say to me one time, I'm 99% sure. And I said, so in other words, you don't know. And they kind of looked at me and I said, well, that's what that means. You got to be 100% or you don't know. And we can be mistaken about all of these kind of things. So their emotions are out of control. And what do out of control motion, emotions do? They latch on to what they want to believe. You latch on to whatever fits the way you are feeling. Let me say that again. <clears throat> you latch on. Damaged emotions latch on to whatever fits what they are feeling. That's why certain news things get your attention. And others you go, oh, I don't even want to see that. They're both maybe factual. Let's stretch the imagination a little bit and say they're factual. And yet, whatever your emotions are feeling and mastering, they, that causes you to latch on to certain things, certain stories, certain ideas, certain philosophies. That's the way that it works. Because there's always a lie to believe. The children of Israel said, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. I changed my voice, didn't I? Uh, when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. You know, nobody wants to leave a place like that. And yet the Bible says, I have heard the groaning of my people in Egypt. Really? Groaning there while they're eating everything with full bellies, getting everything that they want? They're changing their story. They're changing their story. This doesn't sound the same as it did when they were under the taskmaster in Egypt, does it? And I think sometimes we wonder why the world is not... I mean, I know only God can save people and we're not going to win the world. But we ought to have credibility before the world and the gospel. And I think sometimes we don't is because we change our story too much. And one day God is great, the other day God is horrible. One day God is blessing us, the other day we're just suffering so badly. That's what Israel was doing. And God says, I've got to uh, get you to where you don't latch on to the lies about everything. And so they talk about this. They lied about God. He had rescued them. He had brought plagues on Egypt and spared them, and he told them that uh, they would worship again at Sinai, and they're on their way there now. He told them they're going to the promised land, but oh, God's just going to kill us. There were lies about Egypt. They constantly undervalue their deliverance. Think about that, child of God. Do you undervalue your salvation? They said it was better to have died in Egypt. Was it really? 
They said that life was better in Egypt than out here in the desert. Was it really? They believe lies about Moses and Aaron. You brought us out here, and you brought us out here, and your real motive was just to kill the whole assembly. What a lie. Moses loved these people. Moses was among these people. Moses was suffering with these people, and he didn't even have to. He could have stayed with his father-in-law Jethro. They lied about the whole thing. And there they are, hungry and upset and believing a lie. There's always a lie. Always a lie. And it's waiting for your damaged emotions to latch onto it because it fits what you are feeling. And that's not the way. That is not the way a Christian is supposed to operate. You were made for better than that. God has higher aspirations for you than that. And then the last thing. Understand this. I alluded to it earlier. God is more gracious and loving than you realize. I'll make it rain. Then the Lord said to Moses, yeah, I'll make it rain. And notice what he does. Not hail, fire, and brimstone like Sodom and Gomorrah. But on his people he graciously rained the bread from heaven. And he said, and I'll tell you what to do, and that'll be your test. You know, their test was maybe a little bit more difficult than Adam and Eve's. You ever thought about it? Adam and Eve had one rule, and they couldn't keep it. One rule, and they couldn't keep it. These people have a couple of rules. Get a quota, and get twice as much to get ready for the Sabbath. That's all they had to worry about. And it was a test. Because you know what we're going to find out? They couldn't even keep that. There's always somebody going the other way. And yet, what does God do? He continues to feed them. He continues to guide them. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. He continues to give them rain of bread. And he continues to give them the quail that they need to eat. And then he continues to give them water. Water from a rock that the book uh, uh, the New Testament in 1 Corinthians, I believe, says it followed them. Did they not notice that? And Paul said, and the rock was Christ. You know, you go through some deserts. And you're going to go through some deserts. And your emotions are going to panic. And they're going to latch on to a lie that has been prepared for you. And it's at that point you're going to have to take up your shield of faith and quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. It may be something that you read about Washington. It may be something that you read about the president. It may be something that you read about Mr. Biden. It may be something that you see or hear and all of that that's going on. And it just throws your faith off and it just discombobulates you. And it's at that point you're going to have to lift up your shield of faith and quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Because though everything seems to have changed, actually nothing has changed. And God, the rock, the water, the living water, is still with you in the desert everywhere you go. Just learn the lessons. Somebody say amen to that. Just learn the lessons. Will you pray with me? Lord, I am tired. And I think I'm not the only one. I'm tired of going through things and not learning the lesson. I feel things. I experience things. My emotions are stirred and all of that. But I don't seem to learn. Today we present ourselves as a congregation 
to simply say, Lord, we want to learn, we want to grow, and we want to move forward for the glory of God. We're tired of going through the same old things in the same old way. We're tired of making another lap around Mount Sinai. We want to go to the promised land. And we want to see your blessings. And we want to be the ones who grow up into Christ and have the victory of faith working in us. Now, some people don't have that because they've never trusted you as Savior and Lord. Oh, Father, call them out that they would repent of their sins and put their full trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and Christ alone for their salvation and bring them to be born again and do that for your glory and for those of us who are saved help us to grow up and it's in Jesus name and for your glory we pray this amen and all God's people said thank you so much for being here today and I pray that God blesses you the rest of the day and that that message will resonate in your heart